So, you think you want to work in factual TV. So did we. And here we are, making a podcast all about the different roles in creating television. Maybe you're just starting out, or hoping to move up the career ladder. And I grafted it because I just knew that that's what I wanted more than anything. I'm Lisa Fairbank. And I'm Julie Heathcote. The voice of We're ideas people. And we've got a lot, a huge amount of experience producing award-winning TV shows. Might not be realistic, it might not hit you're that channel. You're always so keen on that. Join us as we get the inside scoop on the reality of working in television. Anyone will tell you there's no glamour. And stay tuned to the end of each episode where we ask our guests for their five top tips for career success. So, Harry, tip number four. (laughs) (laughs) I tried. I really tried. I'm sorry. Well, I am thrilled today that we have got a guest who can lift the lid on all things post-production. Yes, the wonderful Dave Austin will be joining us. Dave is a man of many, many talents. And he used to be a fantastic offline editor back in the day. And now he's the founder of an extremely swish post-production house. And there, Dave and his wonderful team have worked on a ton of fantastic productions. The Repair Shop and our Glyndebourne Opera Cup amongst them. Hello, Dave. Lovely to have you here at our podcast. We should start by you telling us what you do and what your company is. Uh, so I run a company called The Edit, which is a post-production facility in Brighton. And what kinds of shows do come through? Like, name some shows that people have heard of that yes. been through your doors. So we were on The Repair Shop, Saving Lives at Sea, Interior Design Masters, lots lots of kind of primetime BBC or Channel 4, what we call factual entertainment series. And then we also sort of work on you know, the odd lovely documentary, which, you know, you can really kind of get your teeth into those and get excited about them. So usually about something, you know, really important. So we've got a good sort of mix. At what point do you get involved and then stop being involved in the kind of process? Post-production is basically anything that happens after filming in my head. So filming happens, all the data gets uh, collected off those cameras, put on drives and comes through our letterbox. Yeah, so we take it all the way up to delivery to the channel. It's pretty much the last thing before it gets transmitted. So the camera stops rolling and that's where you take over? We take over, yeah. So post-production facility takes hold of your rushes. Um, We store them on big servers in our server room and kind of catalogue them and look after them. Then the the first stage is offline editing, which, you know, to me is... It's the sort of most creative bit. It's the longest bit of the process and it's the most creative because, you know, the director and the editor are really, you know, shaping that programme and they really put their sort of personality into it. And that process, we should explain, is a um, period of anything between two or three weeks or 10, 11, 12 weeks, depending upon the duration of the film being made, is the point in time when the story is teased out the shape of the the film is created people are feeding back on what's in it um until you get to the sign-off point so the next part of the process is the conform which is basically going back to your higher res images so an edit assistant will go we'll take the cut and then kind of link it all back to the high res images so now not offline you're going into your online. But basically, yeah, it goes through a process which broadly we'll call final post, final post-production, which encompasses making it sound nice and making it look pretty. 
I like that as a description. Yeah, that is good. And also doing things like putting credits on things and captions yeah. on things and blurring people's faces and that kind of stuff. And uh, really, you know, it's the online editor's job to make sure the programme goes out the door, totally hitting the broadcaster's standards. Okay, so I want to know yeah, yeah. if I like the sound of any of what Dave's just said, of making things look pretty or marshalling, you know, 25 episodes of The Apprentice in post-production, how am I going to get a job doing this stuff? Working for Dave. Working for Dave, ideally, but yeah, more generally in post-production. In a way, I think there's two routes in. One, you know, if you know, if you really, really know what you want to do, then maybe you don't need to go to uni. There are people who really knew what they wanted to do. They became a runner at some place. And, you know, they're probably quite resourceful characters and self-starters, which I think you need to be in this industry anyway. But they'll have gone in at the bottom and, you know, just sort of done all the right things. And I think if they're showing the willing and they're, yeah, they're making friends with the right people, that can work. However, I suppose, actually, if I'm being really realistic, there's a large, large percentage of people in our industry who have got degrees and it that does open a door as well. But I suppose the reason I said, you know, maybe you don't need a degree, because back in the day, they were quite poor, actually, and people came out of them knowing not a lot, but they have improved massively. You know, I think getting in post-production, what I'm looking for is somebody who has got one foot in a kind of creative bent and one in a technical camp. And actually, I don't really, I'm not that bothered if their degree is in TV necessarily, but if it's in something that sort of shows me that they're a logical thinker and a problem solver. So you're looking for an aptitude, which is both attention to detail technical proficiency and some sort of proven interest in creativity. Yeah. And that can be quite vague then, can't it? You're not expecting people to be fully formed. No, absolutely not, no. So, you know, the route in our company, for example, is that someone's most likely to come in as a runner if they do well in that role. You know, I think I think being a runner is a really important role because you get to show that you're you're up for it and you're dedicated and you you, char- you get your character comes across. And if if you come across well and don't just treat it as like, oh, I'm just at the bottom of the pile sort of thing, then then I think that's when you the opportunities open up for you. So so yeah, if a runner does their job well, then you know we'd usually then promote them to be like a junior edit assistant. I want to ask, how how did this journey start for you, Dave? Well, I suppose like everyone's is a little bit random, but you know, I didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to run a post house or even going to TV. So I um, I was quite good at physics and maths at school. What I really wanted to do was become, um, well, what I really wanted to do was be on stage with a guitar. But <laughs> next best thing to that was like, I really wanted to be a music producer. And some random person told my dad, um, who was a computer programmer, so he was quite a sort of techie person, said, yeah, his best bet's to go off and do electronic engineering at university, which I sort of think now that was really weird advice for someone who wanted to be a music producer. But anyway, I went on, went off and did electronic engineering. Um, I still wanted to get into music producing at the end of it. And my plan was to go and get a job as a runner in a studio. But I then just saw an advert for BBC at a graduate fair and it said, you know, trainee engineers needed. Did you get sidetracked from your actual dream, which was to work in music? So, well, that's still sort of media related, isn't it? And um, yeah, I kind of got, got drawn to it. 
um, got the job. And yeah, what it allowed me to do was I got my first job, which was for a little company making windsurfing programs for Sky Sports. And it was a real, really tight ship. You know, they had no money and they worked you really hard. And it was the complete opposite of the BBC. And I was, I was there till four o'clock in the morning for the first few weeks, sort of, you know, trying to learn what it, the hell it was expected of me and trying to get... What was the role? Believe it or not, it was like online editor. <laughs> Which, you know, should take some years to get to that point. But, you know, it was a little company and it's like a two-way thing. They paid me absolutely nothing and I got to learn it. But it was a very lovely uh, Australian offline editor who knew his stuff and he kind of took me through it and, you know, really helped me. And I had some really fun times for a bit there as you're sort of learning it. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm actually of some use to someone now, you know. I'm stopping now for another educational point, number two, yeah. which is they're finding your mentors or yes. people that will take you under their wing and will give some time to helping teach you because there is not so much of a structure of professional development in this industry. You do need to find those people yeah. that go above and beyond. And there are lots of them out there. People are normally really happy to sort of impart their knowledge and help you if you seem keen, you know. So this is why I think back to runners. I remember being at a facility in London and there was one runner who just looked like they'd been asked to smell a turd uh, most days. You know, they treated it like they just had a, a job in a cafe bringing teas to people. But it was so much more than that. It's an opportunity to mix with all these people that are doing all these different roles. You can you can chat to them, you can be interested in what they're doing. And so I actually think the runner role is really good because you do get to see it or you, get, you go between the production houses and the post houses. It's one of the few times, yeah. I think, where you, uh, in our industry, at some point fairly early on, you have to make a choice which way you are going and what, yeah. way, what role you are going to be more focused on. But as a runner, you have access to everything, hopefully, depending yeah. upon the job that you're getting. So it is an opportunity to to learn, listen. If you're the runner, you have access. You can go and you can go and meet the director and take them a cup of tea, or go and see the online editor or the grader. Or, you know, I mean, let's face it, not everyone's like super gregarious, but I think anyone listening should just, even if they don't, even if they feel they are a bit shy on that front, just push yourself out there. You know, you've got to get yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone and just. And, and just do it, even if you do it in small steps. What type of person do you think post-production should, would appeal to? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think I think sometimes in post, we get people who aren't quite the right person because actually they really want to be very creative and go on for often direct. And actually it's not, post is quite techy and you're dealing, you know, your head's in the computer a lot. So... Post-production, our job is to get the programme delivered absolutely pristine, no mistakes, um, on time. And so you need someone who's got really good attention to detail, who can be a problem solver, who doesn't mind really getting their hands dirt in terms of, you know, it's a deadline-based industry and you may have to stay really late quite often sometimes, you know, if you've got a very hectic series going on. So they've got a, they, they can't be a nine-to-fiver. And also just have a have an appreciation for the creative side. You know, even if they're quite a technical person, you need to be able to sympathise with what your clients are trying to do. Because I'd say, the for me, the post-production process in making television is one that I enjoy actually probably even more than filming, which I know is quite controversial as a director. But I love that relationship with a 
offline um, editor, but also the all of them, great graders, um, audio engineers, online. If they're yeah. buying into the idea and that everybody's working hard to make this be the best it can be and everybody's creativity is coming to the table, that is a wonderful thing. I suppose the slight nuance here is most offline editors are kind of employed by the production companies. So I think it's important for someone wanting to go into, if someone wants to become an editor, an offline editor, to be honest, I don't really feel like a facility is the place to do it. I think a production company is the place to do it. That's quite important. You know, get into a production company, you're gonna, they're going to ask you to cut a little thing at some point and then suddenly you'll be doing all of their little things, little taster tapes or what do we call them? Sizzles. And then suddenly you're doing it. And I've seen that happen a lot, at, um, you know, like sort of big companies like Ricochet or whatever. So that's just important for people to know because it, it seems counterintuitive that don't come to a post facility to become an offline editor. It's more like you're going to go, you know, you might become an engineer, you might become a online editor, dubbing mixer, dubbing editor, one of those things. Yeah. Or, or, or there's the production side, which is post-producing, which is actually project management. I always think as well, if you're in in that, you know, if you're part of the um, online grading dubbing process is you're bringing your A game every day because yeah. you're arriving at work and it's an expensive part of the process for production, you know, and you're paying, you know, many thousands of pounds to put your film through that process. And yeah. for us on the production side, it's it's the very final polish. It's like yeah. all our work, all of that heartache, all of the pre-production, all the filming, all the early mornings and late nights are like, this is it. This is the final chance to make it perfect. But for the guy that you're sat next to, it's it's Friday, it's Lisa, we're in here for the day. But you never you never get that feeling. They're always like trying to make it be the best. Yeah, and I suppose, I suppose that's the little extra thing that I'm, I would be looking for in someone coming into post. You know, they can have all the technical expertise, they can do the job, but do they actually give a shit about the product that the client's trying to make? Are they getting excited about it and sort of caring about it? Shall we ask you about top tips? Yes, please. let's, let's rush on. So, so, um, tip number one. First tip is, is it really for you? Um, controversial are you really interested in being in this this industry because I think a lot of people are drawn in by a celebrity aspect and maybe glamour and quite frankly anyone would tell you there's no glamour and (laughs) you know it's bloody hard work and also I think yeah you just got to ask yourself if you really genuinely are you sort of after the accolade or perhaps the promise of earning lots of money if you get to the top are you or, or, or do you really like making films you know i like that tip number two tip number two is get your cv right um because there's, there's almost and maybe these are just personal to me and you might have other kind of clangers that you just see and you go <sighs> but the first one is don't say you're a dop when you've just graduated director of photography because it just sounds you might have been the DOP on the college thing and you might have done a bloody brilliant job, but it just sounds like you're bigging yourself up too much. You know, you've probably still got a lot to learn about the industry. So, yes, you know, bit, I've bit, definitely seen that. Definitely I was thinking maybe put aspiring DOP or, you know, the other thing I get a lot of is people on the CVs put about 15 different job titles and that's an instant put off. You know, they'll say editor, director, producer. DOP, DIT, whatever, and you're like, oh, what do you want to be? I just don't, I don't know. And it's, I mean, 
we do multitask in this industry, but you kind of want to know what this person really wants to do. So we are clearly a creative visual industry and I still get some very dull looking CVs that are just sort of, you know, been knocked out on word and you just, but then you get other ones that are designed quite nicely. And I sort of think, oh, you've gone to the effort to make it look good. Agreed. But, but don't go nuts. The last thing on the sort of CV front or, or when you're interviewing is if you haven't got some sort of evidence of the fact that you're into this industry and you're into making films and that, then why are you there? Because I, I feel like I can sort of see through that and go, well, you, you haven't done anything. I was like, oh, yeah, I was thinking about doing a music video. <laughs> I don't want to go down the route of sort of dissing, you know, dissing that, but be, have something have something to show, basically, show that you've, you've tinkered. Um, do we have a tip number three? Or do oh, tip know? number three is be prepared to start at the bottom and... It sort of goes back to the DOP on his CV thing. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to sort of be condescending, but even if you've learned a great deal on your course, and I'm sure I've, I've seen people come out of, say, Brighton Film School doing amazing things, you know, but they don't necessarily know how business works or how a company works. And, you know, I think you've just got to sort of step back a bit. It's okay to start as a runner for reasons we chatted about earlier. And, and actually it's a positive because you get to know people and get to see what, what role might suit your personality the best. So, yeah. Start at the bottom. And also you can, if you're half Not decent, you won't be there very long. Yes. Tip yeah. number four. Steer your career. Oh, will oh. Sounds quite, sounds quite deep. Uh, oh my God, us. can well, you help me in that department? We did sort of chat about this before, but what I'm saying is that your career progression comes from you. People will give you a helping hand, but you've got to ask for it and you've got to show willing and maybe put in some time out of hours to go and mess around in that edit room it's kind of been a, a self-starter i guess yeah i think that's good they are all it's got one more to do oh is that only four i can't count learn <laughs> to count is the top five tip i suppose five is it's kind of a bit mixed up with the others but it's build up your contacts so what i mean by that is again just be really interested in what other people are doing they could be your future job prospect so everyone everyone who you interact with is someone who you know you might work with in the future so just uh, build up your network did you want to have a sneaky number six yeah little number six which is i mean you're ruining, you know, the, you're ruining the format but i think we should go with it do it we have a motto in our company which is there's no such thing as a silly question so i just always think people coming in think they need to know it so just just ask if you're not sure and kind of on the same tip own your mistakes just own up to them because i think people prefer that than the sort of slight feeling that you might have covered them up and that one at the end is is actually um, is crucial because it sort of builds up a trust in your in a relationship, and and our business is all about relationships and yeah. it is all about trust, and it is all about you wanting repeat business, whether it's as a company or as a freelancer, and you do that by showing that you will accept when you've got things wrong. Dave, you've been really good. I want the I want some more career advice. Should Dave. we just get him to mentor us? <laughs> can he be my mentor, please? And you can help me steer my career. <laughs> I like that as a little phrase. It's too late. It's too late for me. But it's not too late for people listening to the podcast. So that's good news. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you. So that's it for this episode of Is TV For Me? We'd love you to join us again. And there's lots more info on our website or check us out on Instagram. And do listen out for more from us wherever you get your podcasts.